you know, this is the last joy Sunday that we have of the year. We've done four of these. We've done them kind of as we finished a quarter of the year. And so it just felt right for us to do something special on New Year's Eve. And I don't know if I say this to you enough, and I, forgive me if I don't, I should say it more. It's a joy to be your pastor. I'm grateful that I get to do it. I love you. I'm grateful that I get to serve here. I wake up every day and I scratch my head and wonder how a little kid from East Tennessee got here and I still don't have any idea, but thank God for it. And thank you for supporting us and helping us move forward into this new year. We're excited about it and excited for us to be going somewhere as a church family. Now, as we think about celebrations, it's kind of fitting, isn't it? Because today's a day Maybe you're gonna have a celebration. If you wanna come to my house and watch the ball drop, you just come on over. We'll be in bed about two this afternoon. We're not watching it drop, you know? I've never understood why that matters. I don't know. Look, the ball, uh, you know? Uh, but, but maybe that's for you, and if it is, that's good, and, and I hope that that's enjoyable, and maybe you go to a party and, and do that, and, and maybe that makes you happy if you're with people you actually enjoy and your, your family's gone home, amen? I mean, you know, it's... That's not nice. I wasn't talking about my family. I was talking about your family. I love my in-laws. They're good to me. But you know, as you think about it, this year we've been talking about joy. It's different than happiness, isn't it? And we have a reason to celebrate every day because we've been saved and our lives have been changed and that changes something for us. So we've talked about joy this year being the strength of the believer. That was the first joy Sunday that we, that we took was talking about the joy of the Lord will be our strength. How is it that the joy of the Lord could be our strength? What's the thing in our life that sustains us and, and keeps us going when everything else might seem like it's failing and faltering around us? We've talked about joy being a gift from God, that God gives us good and perfect gifts and that sometimes he just gives us joy as a gift. And it's a beautiful thing when we recognize that and we allow his joy to be our strength and a gift. And the last time we talked about joy, we talked about joy being a result of the Spirit of God filling our lives. Now, I wanna just remind you of this. This is very important. The Holy Spirit's filling in your life is a moment-by-moment -moment thing. You can quench that, uh, that, that Spirit in your life. You can just strangle it, cut it off. But you, you can be filled moment-by-moment, -moment, and we need that in our lives. So we go to the Lord and we ask Him to fill us and we ask the Spirit of God to fill us from our head to our toes and, and just to pour out of us as we deal with people, it's very important that we see that, that joy comes as a result of the filling of the Lord. Now, so many of our emotions that are positive are actually a result of happiness, and that's an external thing, so it's very different, isn't it? Because when we talk about happiness, like let's go back to our celebration tonight. You know, if you're with people you like, you're happy. If they're playing the music you like on the, on the New Year's Eve countdown, you're happy. If they're not, you're a curmudgeon. You know, I mean, it's, it's that kind of thing, right? And you know how that goes. It's a result of these things that are outside of us. And if, if we don't like it, we're not happy. But joy is different because joy is something that is steadfast in our lives. And so what we've seen is that it's not situationally dependent. It's not situationally dependent. I heard a story as it was told to me many years ago. So I can only tell you, you say, is this true story? As it was told to me from a pastor friend in Europe, they'd been doing some work, mission work in China. And as you know, most people in China are in the underground church. 
They, they can't worship freely like we are here today, expressing our joy to the Lord and, and being so grateful that God has saved us. So it's, it's different. And a pastor of one of these underground congregations, like so many of them experienced, was imprisoned. And, and not only was he imprisoned, but everywhere that he went in that prison, he was just under everyone's thumb because it was like, we're going to make sure that you're miserable. And when they couldn't get him miserable, they kept giving him less and less and making his life worse and worse, right? I mean, that's what we do. We're gonna turn the screws into you here and make sure that you're not happy. And so it kind of culminated with saying, every day we're making you clean out these latrines for the whole prison. And as it was told to me, this pastor would go down there and he was bitter. I've served you, Lord. I've done what you asked me to do. And here I am in this filth, in this mire, and I'm dealing with this. And God, I don't want to deal with this. I, I, I mean, can we say amen to that? I don't want to deal with this. Do you ever have things in your life? I don't want to deal with this. That's a natural reaction, isn't it, for us? Because we, we're going to face things that are difficult or trying. But then he remembered that the Lord said we're to be joyful people. And as it was told to me, he found himself in the middle of the muck and the mire, cleaning these things out, thinking about an old hymn that he had heard missionaries sing long ago. I come to the garden alone. What kind of garden? A sewage garden? Where the Lord is, Anywhere can be transformed into a garden, can it? Because it's not situationally dependent. And he began to find his joy there. And what they were intending to, to be the worst part of his day turned into one of the, the respites of his day because he was meeting with the Lord. So there's a command for us to be joyful. And that's the kicker, is that it's not based on external things that we're commanded to be joyful. Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians the book of Philippians is often referred to as a, an epistle, a letter of joy. It's given to us, and Paul writes to this church over and over and over and over again, and he uses this word joy. You just find it throughout the book. And in chapter four, he starts to deal with the crucial role that joy plays in the lives of all believers. And I want you today to see Three things that are going to help our church this year as we think about experiencing the joy of the Lord together. Philippians chapter four, verse two. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Those are two names that are available this year if you'd like to name a child that. I haven't heard <laughs> those in a little while. We, we like biblical names here, but... I might even pay you 20 bucks if you name your kid Sintiki. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
It's interesting that as Paul addresses this church, they have a problem. Now, a lot of the epistles are written to churches to correct something, right? There, there's an issue that's going on. That's really not how the Philippian letter reads. This is a kind of a minor little addendum at the end. It's not like the book of Corinthians. If you start reading Corinthians, that's some messed up stuff going on in that church, right? You start reading Galatians, it's messed up. They're theologically all over the place. You, you, you look at Romans, all it is is theology. I mean, it, it's huge for them. This church, I mean, if we were to just look back at chapter one, I don't want you to turn there, but I mean, how do you start this? I give thanks for my God, every remembrance of you, always praying for you in my every prayer for your partnership from the first day until now in the gospel. He loves this church. And at the very end, he begins to implore them, this first thing that I want you to see is that they need unity over individuality. Unity over individuality. And there are two ladies that are not agreeing on something. And we don't really know what the problem was, but maybe if we used our Holy Spirit imagination, it wouldn't take us long to see, to see how easy it might be to get crossed up with someone. Have you ever been crossed up with anybody? You ever find yourself a little out of sorts with people? It doesn't take long, does it? A wrong look, an ill-timed word, somebody winning the Baptist Bake Off and you losing, you know? <laughs> It doesn't take much, does it? I mean, we, we just find ourselves crossed up sometimes. And here is this church. And he's telling them that they need to agree in the Lord over whatever this issue is. It's not big enough issue that he names it for us. It doesn't seem to be that there's a sinful issue going on, except that there's this rub happening and he's saying that their unity is more important than their individuality. And that's important because we often think of ourselves before we think of other people. That's kind of natural and we start here and we work our way out. And remember, we've talked about this, Jesus, others, you, if you reverse it, it's yoj, it doesn't work. You, others, Jesus, doesn't work. Jesus, others, you. And it's easy for us to kind of get hung up in ourselves and thinking about what we want and, and what we think we might need. But we have to understand that we lose a little bit of who we are to be part of something bigger. I, I'm just gonna tell you something. And, and I, I, I try not to rag on America all the time and whatnot, but can I give you a civics lesson? It doesn't work if we're all interested in only what we get out of the deal. A country doesn't work that way. You can't do it. A church doesn't work that way. A family doesn't work that way. It doesn't work. We have to go together in these things, right? And, and so he's saying our unity is more important than our individuality, and we have to give up some of that so that we can have unity. Unity in the church is so important because the lost world is looking at that, and, and this is one of the ways that they see us, and we're known by our love for one another. The unified spirit that we have with one another. You know, it might be in one of these Sundays, you might be able to say, I don't like the music here. Who cares? The preaching was lousy sometimes. I mean, right? Are you an A everywhere you go? I don't think so. I mean, it, these things happen, right? Does it matter? No. Is that what binds us together? Is how great something is? is? Is what I get out of it or what I think about it? No, of course not. I don't like the coffee. Of course you don't. It's church coffee. We don't pay much for it. <laughs> I, am I lying, David, or am I telling the truth? I mean, you know. 
There's a reason I don't drink it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you, you might say, I don't like the donuts. They had Dunkin' Donuts and I'm a Krispy Kreme person. Oh, great. Who cares? Because most of the things in our lives that start to rub us the wrong, I mean, they don't matter. Really, do they matter? They really don't. Now, if we're preaching heresy, you better say something. That's different, isn't it? It's a different, it's a different mindset. But when we talk about these things that are important to us as individuals, because if I'm driving my car, I get to choose the donuts. If you're driving yours, you get to choose. As an individual, that matters. As a group, it doesn't make any difference at all. So our unity over our individuality is very important. And you have to understand, there is always a reason to be unhappy. Always. Pick one. But we're not talking about being happy. We're talking about being joyful. And so it's not based on my circumstances or what I liked or what I didn't like. It's based on what the Lord is doing in my life and how when we come together, the expression of those things raises us up to something that's really commonly good for all of us, and that's the Lord. So that's what he says. Paul tells this church that they need to help one another get along. And in fact, this shouldn't be a surprise to us because Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. Matthew 5, 9 says that. Because he said they'll be called the sons of God. It's an important thing for us. And so he urges this church, remind these ladies, just agree in the Lord. It doesn't matter. Agree in the Lord. And then he points them to something that's important. Unity over individuality, rejoicing over reacting. Look at verse four. It tells us that we're commanded to rejoice. And he, he does it twice. He emphasizes it. Rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again. Rejoice. And that's such an important thing for us to see. It's the same root word there of, of joy. It's just in a verb form. That, that's what he's saying. It's a command for us to rejoice in the Lord. And as we think about this, maybe the, the issue that the ladies were having was related to something external about happiness and it had nothing to do with joy. So that's why he says, hey, you guys agree in the Lord and rejoice. This little thing over here is not gonna be that big a deal. But this, that we have a unified mind around, the fact that the Savior died for us, he loved us, He's called us as sons and daughters. We're, we're living in a family together. That, that's something to rejoice about. So he says, get your mind up here. When you think about it. This is something we see throughout the scriptures. Psalm 32 and verse 11 speaks to this as well. When it says to us that we need to be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. I mean, there's a, there's a command everywhere we look to, to be glad in the Lord, to rejoice in the Lord, to be joyful. You know, I understand that we go through hard things and I understand that not every day you can walk around. It's not being plastic. People who are joyful aren't just like, things are great. It's not that way. That's fake. That's not what we're trying to do. You know what you can say is today kind of stinks, but I'm glad the Lord's on my side. I'm glad the Lord's fighting for me. I'm glad the Lord loves me. You know, it's not everything that I wanted it to be today. I, we had a setback. We had a disappointment. I'm, I'm really bummed about that, but God is good. I can rejoice. You, you see the difference there. It's not plastic. I think that was one of the things that, such a turnoff to me as a kid growing up. You know, we had these little sayings. You remember these sayings. We just look at each other. God is good. 
all the time, all the time. God is good. It's true, but the way we said it was so plastic. Did we mean it or did we just say it? I think we can say, this is hard and this is the day the Lord's made and I'll rejoice in it. That's okay, isn't it? It's okay to say, I'm disappointed and God is good. It's okay to say, this really stinks. You know, I was just sharing this with someone not long ago. One of my favorite things when you read the book of Ruth, do you, you remember this part? Ruth comes back, she's lost everything. Remember, we talked about this. Hey, Naomi's back. The mother-in-law, she's back. She said, don't call me Naomi, call me bitter. No, God took everything from me. It's tough. It's okay. And God's still good. So as we look at this, we're told to be glad in the Lord, not based on our external circumstances at all, because the Lord stands outside of all of those things. And he's the source of joy, which leads to the source of our strength. So a lot of times we're walking around and we feel powerless. We feel like we can't face the day. And I wonder if it's because we don't have any joy. If joy is the gasoline for the motor and we're not filling it up and we're not being filled with the spirit, we walk around, we're running half empty all the time. We don't have any strength for it, but the joy of the Lord. So Paul continues this verse, or this thought, I should say, in verse five, if you look back at it, he says, let your graciousness, your, general, your gentleness, or, or maybe your moderation, your scripture says, be known to everyone or evident to all because the Lord is near. So I think he's still talking to these ladies because what he says is, you guys, this, the, the word there, this, this idea, all those three words kind of give us a picture of it. Gentleness, graciousness, moderation. What he's saying there is you can't be so rigid. Now, how many of you are married to somebody rigid? Don't raise your hand. Just sit smugly. My wife is married to someone rigid. Me. I'm rigid. I struggle with it. I believe what I believe and I don't care what you think. And that's not always great, is it? It's great when we're talking about the lost world, isn't it? We don't, want, we don't want to be flexible in our beliefs to go with culture. That's one thing. But inside the church, when we rejoice in the Lord, he says it brings out something in us that we're to, to let everybody see. It's, it's that we're gentle, that we're flexible, that we can, we can give people a little time to figure things out inside the church. We can walk beside them. We, we don't have to be so locked down, rigid about everything. He says, guys, the Lord is near. And what that means is he's watching. He's not talking about he's coming back. He is coming back, by the way. There's coming a day where he's gonna split the eastern sky. Then Christ will rise first and then we're all gonna meet him and we're gonna go. That will be a day of rejoicing, amen? But, but, but he's talking about right now, God's in our midst. So how we're treating one another is very important. And for this church, it's important. And what he's saying is we don't need to be so flexible in our beliefs that we bend to the culture, but flexible with other believers. Think about it like this. Firm and not frantic. I mean, a lot of believers who run around frantic all the time about their beliefs. This must be right, we, we, we have to get there. God's truth stands on its own, guys. We don't have to be apologists for it. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. God's word stands on its own. The proof is in the pudding. We're the, we're the example of it. I don't have to convince everybody of these things. That's the Holy Spirit's job. I don't have to be frantic about these things. 
And that leads to our last thing that he says in this passage. He says, you can have peace over worry. So in unity over individuality, rejoicing over reacting, and peace over worry. When I was a kid, there was this little song that came out. It said, don't worry, be happy. That sounds great, doesn't it? Wouldn't you like to not worry today and just be happy? Impossible. But you can have peace over worry. You can't manufacture it. But the Bible says something incredible here. Worry removes the matter from, <clears throat> excuse me, there it went again. <clears throat> Sorry. Worry removes the matter out of God's hands and places it back in mine. I'm controlling it. I'm worried about it. I have to fix it. I have to sort it out. Whatever you want to say about it, that's what happens. But he tells us to find peace through prayer. Now, I don't know what you're worried about this morning. Your worries and my worries might be different, but I bet there's some commonalities. If you have children, you're worried. If you have grandchildren, you're really worried. <laughs> right? Because you can't imagine how in the world they're going to grow up in this world to do anything with their lives and, and you don't believe that there's any hope for them. I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I listen to you guys talk. You know what I mean? I come to your Judson Jules meetings. You know what I mean? <laughs> they were never ours to begin with. They're his. But we do worry. How do we get past that? Look at verse six and verse seven again. Don't worry about anything. Now, some of you believe there's a yeah, but right there. And it's like, I don't worry about anything but this because God can't take care. I'm gonna worry about that. I gotta do something about that. It's don't worry about anything. That's very hard for all of us because we all have a list of things that we walked in worried about, a list of things that are, are, are taking space in our minds this morning. And he says, don't worry about those things. Instead, you should do something. In everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He talks about a threefold thing here. Prayer, petitions, requests. Prayer, petition, request. Prayer, petition, request. It's not exactly the same thing. Prayer is how we talk to God, right? I mean, this is, this is just us talking to the Lord. It's it's us listening to what he said in the scripture and responding to it. It's us just meditating and, and spending time with the Lord. And, and you know, as somebody once said, it's easy to pray if you understand it like conversation. You have good conversations with people you're comfortable with, right? If you don't spend time with the Lord, you're not comfortable with him. So it's harder to pray. So you say, this feels awkward. Well, it will feel awkward until you do it for a while. That's normal. It's just like hanging out with somebody new. You gotta get to know one another. So you begin to open the word and learn about the Lord and you just begin to talk to him. That's number one. Then he says petitions. And the word behind that is, is really the idea that we're pleading with God for things. We're pleading for, for people to be saved. We're pleading for God to move in mighty ways in people's lives. We're just asking him to do that. And I want you to notice he gives us a great thing right here that we cannot miss. He says that when we do this, we present these things with thanksgiving. William Barclay said that believers live between the past and the present in their prayer life. 
You're living between the past and the present. And here's what that means. There's things that we've asked God for in the past that he's still working on in our lives and working out. And there's things that we're asking him for now that will certainly be answered in the future. So we're kind of hung between the two and Thanksgiving is what keeps us in the middle and able to do both. God, I thank you that you heard me when I prayed about that last week. I'm coming back to you today. I'm not praying again today because I don't believe you didn't hear me. I believe you did hear me, Lord. And I believe that you're working because your Bible says that you're working. So thank you for that. God, I believe that you answer prayer. And God, I wanna take a minute and just thank you for the prayers that you have answered. And I'm gonna pray for some things and thank you that you will be moving in these things. Wow, what a difference it makes. Most of us, could we be honest, are not very grateful people. We don't practice please and thank you and you're welcome. Maybe like we used to, or maybe like we should. And the reason we might want to think about practicing that in our day-to-day lives is because there's a carryover to it in our spiritual lives, isn't it? Lord, thank you. I just want to stop and thank you. We sing a song, kind of entitled that sometimes around here. I just want to thank you, Lord. And I thank you that you're working. And as we begin to do that, we start to make our requests known to the Lord. And what starts to happen is something supernatural. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. It means that how could you be in a Chinese prison, locked away, given the outhouse duty, and find God's peace? There's no no peace there. That'd drive anyone crazy. Well, you can't. But God can How could you face what you'll have to face this year? Well, you can't, but God can. How do you have peace in the storm? Well, well, it's not because everything's just perfect. Believers don't live an exempt life from trials and tribulations. It doesn't work that way. And so as we think about that, we, we have peace over worry when we commit things to the Lord and thank him for taking care of it and believe that he will and trust that he will and sit back and let God do what he does. And when we get worried, what do we do? We don't sit in our worry. We go right back to the Lord and we turn it over to him again and again and again. And, again. and sometimes it's daily. Sometimes it's, it's, it's moment by moment, hourly, minute. I mean, whatever you want to say, that's what he's talking about here. And so as he's talking to these two ladies where he starts right here, help them get along. Point them to the joy that they need to have in Christ. Tell them to be gentle. And whatever they're worried about, tell them to take it to the Lord. And the peace of God is going to surpass all understanding. Where are you at today? Are you crossed up with somebody? Agree in the Lord. Are you waiting for external happiness to fill your life? Find your joy in the Lord. Are you struggling with worry this morning about the upcoming year and how this will happen and that will happen? And that, well, aren't we all? But it's a killer to joy when we're worried about things that God says he'll take care of. So why don't we take a moment and finish 2023 the right way and start 2024 the right way. 
with an invitation this morning for us to praise the Lord and live in his peace. Would you bow your heads? As Daniel begins to play, I want us just to think and meditate on the goodness of the Lord right now. Could you thank the Lord for some things in 2023? Why don't you ask the Lord to fill you with his presence and give you joy for your strength today. Take that list of worries, name them one by one, and give them to the Lord. Father, we recognize that as we finish one year and start another, it's not like that much has changed really. Tomorrow's going to be Monday. It'll be the start of a week. But yet it feels fitting to have a marker in our lives that signifies the end of something and the start of something new. And Father, for some of us, 2023 will have been maybe one of the better years of our lives. For some of us, it's going to be a, a tough year, Lord, that we've just finished. And we thank you that we can say you got us through them both ways. And we thank you, Lord, that whatever we walked in here worried about as we start the new year, you've got it. And you're going to take care of it. So Lord, in this moment, we rejoice. God, as our church has walked through this year with joy being the theme of the year, Father, we have grown in joy and we have gone in joy to the nations and we thank you for it. Father, we praise you that you have given us such a place as this where we might gather together, be in relationship with one another as we serve you and relate to you, our heavenly Father. And Lord Jesus, today we lift you up as King of kings, Lord of lords, because how would we know joy if you hadn't saved us? Thank you for saving us. Father, in this moment as we begin to sing, we pray you will hear our heartfelt confession of how we need you. And we ask you to move in our hearts today. With thanksgiving, we offer these things to you. In Jesus' name, amen.